Hey, She Slays listeners. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, the Focus Academy. So you know chiropractic can help kids, but you lack confidence in your knowledge or communication skills to educate parents in your community. I've got a solution for you. The Focus Academy gives you the training and education to understand the why behind those wins and challenges you're seeing in clinic. They teach you how to perform a full brain-based exam, how to go beyond just the subluxation, but stay principled in your chiropractic approach and address and understand the consequences on brain development. They take a two-pronged approach. First, clinical solutions taught in a way that gives you full access to a deeper and more comprehensive understanding and breaks those techniques and approaches down into digestible and practical steps. Second, right now strategies you can employ wherever you are in your training. You'll learn how to seamlessly ask and answer the big questions in your clinical exams and re-exams and have it actually inform the whole child approach and care planning in a way your patients will understand. And since you're a She Slays listener, you'll get free access to the Focus Academy's Kickstart program. Just click the link in the show notes to get started on your journey to improving your practice. everyone. This is Dr. Lauren Brunswick, and you are listening to the She Slays the Day podcast. Um, so today's guest is someone that you've actually heard from just a little bit before. Um, back in our COVID-19 roundtable, uh, I had Dr. Tamara McIntyre on, and I told her after the discussion that I you know, everything she said, I was just hanging on every word and wanted to like go down and have this deep, long conversation with her. Um, but I had to be respectful that I had like five other women on that round table. Um, by the way, you know, just a funny side note, her and I, um, after that, I said, you know, I want to devote an entire episode to just talking to you. Do you want to talk about COVID stuff? Or would you rather like wait until things settle down and not talk about COVID stuff? And she's like, let's wait until we kind of like put it out six to eight weeks, the end of May. And we got on and we were just like, oh, how funny that we thought eight weeks ago we would still be or that we would be out of this. Um, if you haven't actually listened to the round table uh, conversation with her on it, it is to date still one of my favorite, favorite episodes. And um <laughs> Fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know however you want to look at it, uh, the information and the truth and the beauty that each one of those women brought was on point, absolutely on point. Um, so Dr. Tamara and I jump right in. Like when we go to the conversation, you're going to be like, wait a minute, did I did I miss like the the platitude or the niceness of like, hi, thanks for being on the show. Tell us about, no, we, um, <laughs> we started talking about what we were gonna talk about. And I always start recording just because I have a fear that I'm gonna accidentally not record. And then we just went and had like an hour plus conversation and it was like, oh, well, <laughs> that was amazing. Um, so yeah, no, you didn't miss anything. You just are getting to see like true unscripted conversation between me and Dr. Tamara McIntyre. Now, if you don't know who she is, she's amazing, uh, but she's an internationally recognized authority in chiropractic care and functional medicine. She's a former dean of clinical education at a chiropractic college, and she's been touted as a clinical genius in her profession and serves as a role model and mentor for students and doctors. 
She's recognized as a leading authority in chiropractic. Patients and student travel from all over the world to receive her care and access the depth of her expertise through her practice in Victoria and through educational workshops, retreats, and training camps. Um, she is absolutely a blessing to this profession. So before we pray and get into it, I'm going to do a listener highlight because I say this time and time again, but like, you guys, when you take the time to like, let me know that you're listening, like the screenshots that I'm, you're on a walk listening or you're in the car. And then when you take the time to go and actually write a review, it is, it is like, it's so helpful. Thank you. It helps other female chiropractors find the show. Um, and you know, it gives me something to read. So this one, um, is just titled she slays the day says Dr. Lauren is real and raw and doesn't sugarcoat anything. She is clearly a very successful chiropractor. <laughs> Why do you think I picked this review? Uh, who has a heart to help other women chiropractors. I get excited for each next episode. Thank you. Um, and that's Dre Jensen, DC. Thank you so much for writing that um, short and sweet. I love it. Doesn't need to be complicated. Um, so I will... Uh, go ahead and center us in prayer, and then we will jump right in with my conversation with Dr. Tamara. Dear God, thank you so much for women, women in this profession who prioritize mentorship. Um, thank you for each one of us that is being patient in the time of life where we're not supposed to speak, but we're supposed to experience. We're supposed to learn. We're supposed to let our purpose really simmer and become, have depth. So when we do step into our power, whether it be five years, 10 years, 30 years into practice, that base, that foundation from which we speak is full so much of your love and energy and wisdom and each one of the experiences that you have put in our life. Um, for many of us who are really experiencing 2020, remind us that so much of the time, the most productive or the most work that we are doing spiritually and internally growing is not the prettiest. Uh, and that one day this will be a beautiful, beautiful story of evolution. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So without further ado, uh, Dr. Tamara McIntyre and I talking about so many things. Hope you enjoy. Well, here we are getting we to have our conversation. I know. I know. So glad. And I feel like I feel like I know you so much better now. I know. I know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, there was there was so many times when we were in the group that I was just like, damn it, I have all these other people I have to talk to. But I kind of want to, like, go down this road. Um, <laughs> lighthouse. Yeah. Oh, man. Wasn't that cute of us to think? I think we set this up like six weeks ago. Totally. And we thought like, because I, I reached out and I was like, do you want to do it now? Or do you kind of want to like wait until like people are done talking about COVID and we're like, yeah, let's do it later. And I like, never imagined, I never imagined we would be in this place this many weeks later. No. No. Like, at all. And the stuff that is 
being discussed and planned for the fall. I'm like, wow, this is terrible to say, but I'm just like, gosh, I wish they'll just make a shitty vaccine and so other people can get it and I can go back to life. I cannot let my head think about the future. I can't. I could not have seen this coming. No, I would not like for a million years. You couldn't tell me that like Disney, I mean, it's such a small thing to decide, but like Disney world would close down that they, you know, and just all the different things that like the green have happened that the MLB is not happening. I know. (laughs) And so I can't look to the future and try and think what's going to happen because it gives me too much anxiety. Okay. So when you sent me, you and Dr. Moore Mo are so amazing because I'm always just like, when you send me like what we're going to talk about and I'm like, okay, I'm smart enough. I'm a doctor. I can handle this conversation. <laughs> I'm like, you can, you, can. you totally can. It's like, you know, it's, it, I, I will be really honest with you, Lauren. I know where my, I know where my niche is and where I've been able to actually serve chiropractic and chiropractors and specifically younger chiropractors it's just uh, some of them don't realize there's actually an issue until they get out there some of them know there's an issue and have no idea where they could possibly go to have that fulfilled you and I both know because I see the way you're extending to docs as well is there's a real problem associated with what's happening with some of our younger docs and the exposure that they're getting, thinking they're getting mentorship, not getting it, being, you know, being offered $15 an hour when they're carrying the kind of debt load they're carrying. Like there's, you know, like we see what's happening and we've always sort of said chiropractic eats their young. However, I feel like we're in a totally different place about what, how that's actually playing out than how it used to <laughs> play out. Um, it's like social media is just more public. Like, you know, there's 8,000 women on a Facebook group. Yeah. So like before, and yeah. I guess it doesn't need, this doesn't need to be a gender thing. Yeah. But, you know, so let's make, I won't make it. So let's yeah. say I'm a kid guy graduated mm-hmm. from chiropractic school at 24. Mm-hmm. And this is the eighties. He doesn't have many like, he can't see what is normal mm-hmm. for an associate position for a mentorship position. Yeah. So he just kind of takes it and assumes like, I guess it's good. But mm-hmm. now, you know, mm-hmm. I could be, I could just go on and ask 8,000 women like, Hey, what mm-hmm. do you pay your associates? Mm-hmm. Like totally. what kind of benefits do your associates get? Yeah. Sharing so, of sharing of contracts across different jurisdictions, not taking into consideration what the average cost per visit is for a location. Um, and then there's, you know, and then there's the stuff that I don't really, I don't really talk about publicly, but you and I both know it's like if the average wage for an associate right now is $49,000. And if the average hourly is $33 an hour, um, like, how can they, like, that's not a living wage given right. what they're carrying with debt load. And I think, you know, and I don't necessarily think that the, you know, I, I'm going to say like, I'm not going to think that people taking on associates are are doing it a hundred percent for the money. However, if they're looking to make money off of <laughs> these associates, they're not staying long enough for them to be profitable. No. Nope. So you have to, you have to be willing to put in time and invest in them and, and not invest in them thinking they're going to be a mini me, but invest in them because you're doing it for the profession. And with that's the hope. a hard that, lesson. As someone it is. had two associates, you know, we, 
we tend to hire from a very selfish standpoint. Yeah. And then um, I had no idea the undertaking that I was going to be doing huge emotionally. Totally. Bringing in an associate and it's like. Yeah. Well, and the other part, Lauren, is that this generation is, I mean, for as much as I, I, like, there's so much about this generation of new docs that I love. Like, I love their enthusiasm. I love their genuine interest in valuing the experience they're having in this lifetime. Um, I, I so admire that their measure of success in general is not monetary, but they want to be financially stable. But the other aspect of it is they carry the highest stress of any generation. They feel the most isolated, but yet they've had the most social media and connection access, Um, you know, and they're not, they don't stay in a job and they expect to, they expect to rise very quickly. Like they have unrealistic expectations of their competency (laughs) and, and, and you can't tell them that you just have to show them that they don't have it yet. And, and so it, that's the tricky part, right? It's like, they're not going to, you know, we used to meet, like if you had a mentor, you would meet for a period of time. I mean, they're basically saying, if you want to train a millennial, do it in seven to 10 minute videos. Mm, Okay. Don't, don't hand them a procedures manual. Don't hand them a procedures manual. They're, you know, some of them will want it, but if you actually read seven to 10 minutes off out of your procedures manual, they'll actually access it. More likely to. Yeah. it's when you talk about like they're they're great here connecting the what we were just talking about with this so yeah. like they are experiencing the world in these amazing ways they're not yeah. necessarily money motivated no and so that's where there's this huge disconnect because we've mm-hmm. got doctors who mm-hmm. are not like millennials or they're like later millennials mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that are like i'm going to hire a workhorse a mini me and that oh, person to come in and like I've done my time right so they're, they're gonna do theirs and they don't they're not doing time they're not interested in time they don't that. see it at that they just don't care about that off this so like it is hard because it is this weird double-edged thing where it's like on one side I go like so I was born in 86 so right. I refuse to con- call myself a millennial until right. I, the last couple of years where I'm like right. oh, I actually you're you're one like there's they split them in two right like it's yeah. a sort of like so you can go I'm on that end I'm an I'm old one of them yeah, yeah I'm not one yeah. of them so yeah. like I I'm old enough I'm an old enough millennial that I can see the behavior in others in me and I go like so you can't do that I know I yeah. do it and that's not okay either yeah. Yeah. but like it's this double-edged sword where like they want to raise up quickly yeah they do like, okay well that's not that's not how the world works, works. Huh? yeah um, but they also, what I love about their idea, because, okay, hold on, let me see how I want to say this. So they refuse to accept that they can't just rise up the ranks quickly. They're like, no, I can do whatever I want. And we go like, cute. Sort um, of. <laughs> in that same open-mindedness is what allows them to like completely debunk the system and go like, no, I don't want to put my time in. Like, totally. Nope. No. It's, yeah, I remember really clearly there was a, a, a seminar and, um, you know, a standard model practice management guy is standing there and he's saying, when I graduated, this is what we did and we just got to work and this is, you know, um, and these were my expenses. And he's thinking he's delivering this really like powerful motivational thing, right? And then it's like a woman raises her hand and she goes, so um, when I see how the breakdown, I'm just wondering like, um, uh, we don't mention student loans. <laughs> 
And he goes, well, I didn't have any. And she goes, well, then why am I taking advice from you? Because none of this finances is going to work for me. Wow. Right. And so it's like, it's that, it's Mm -hmm. that, like, I, I'm like, I'm like, (laughs) you know, from the back like booyah <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know I'm like oh but like that divide is actually like it can't like those that are in practice that are feeling like they're looking for an associate don't really know what they're doing mm-hmm. to nurture that experience or to welcome in that like that's that, that whole human that is very different and is motivated by totally different things who has different value systems you know I kind of got caught in um you know just you bringing up that speaker reminds me oh by the way we're just kind of going like yeah Yeah. this is recording like (laughs) (laughs) this is just some people are like oh I think I missed the first part of this conversation no we just yeah yeah Um, I was being interviewed a couple weeks ago for someone else's podcast and um she had given me a list of questions that we were going to go through and I was like oh man that's how that's so nice as a Uh a Uh guest I should really try and do that for my guest yeah Um, but at the end she threw me this lob ball that I was not like it should have been an easy question right I feel like I look back and I just am kind of like well it was true but I'm embarrassed that I said it on a microphone right so she said like well what are you reading and I was like oh my gosh and I was so excited I was like I'm I just finished Glennon Doyle's Untamed it changed my life yeah I want to buy and give a copy to every female and male like my Kirby started reading it and he's just like it actually inspired Kirby to start reading another book about like the boxes that we put women in. Right. Oh my God. He brought it up. Yeah. But, um, so she goes, okay. So, cause I said, it's not, it's not a self-help. It's more like it's called a feminist memoir. Right. And she was like, okay. So like for maybe those that don't want to read a feminist memoir, what book would you recommend? And she's like, like a, like a business book. And I was like, oh, um, well, I don't know. Gosh, yeah. it's been a minute. Yeah. And I'm like, I guess like a Michael Hyatt. I'm like, it's not like, and the Brendan Bouchard. And, a, and I was like, I don't mean to say anything bad about those guys because obviously mm-hmm. they're much more successful than me. So they're obviously right. doing something right. But I feel like we're transitioning away from this era mm-hmm. of powerful Enneagram eight man in a suit on mm-hmm. a stage saying it's black and white. Mm-hmm. I discovered the key to success, do it mm-hmm. my way. And mm-hmm. you bring up that, you know, being like, well, what about this? Mm-hmm. That's what I feel like is missing from a lot of those books, like traction. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. where it's like, mm, this is the way to do it. If you want to be successful, if you want to be successful, mm-hmm. like me, do it like I did. And it's like, mm-hmm. there's very little gray. Mm-hmm. empathy and compassion and vulnerability mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing for me is the thought that, you know, I mean, there's that old expression that, you know, you get to define success. I mean, it's, it's what, like, where is that? And what does that mean to you? And so my, my real hope is that, um, that that is actually starting to happen. And that, that whole model of success in terms of like the car you drive and, you know, the house you live in and, you know, that, that we're actually moving away from. And it'll be really interesting to see what this 2020 does for people because what they thought they had attachments to and how they spent their time and how they spent their money or didn't spend their money and what did that actually look like or feel, you know, that value associated with it. 
it'll be interesting to see what people do because, you know, I've certainly like success in that idea of like when I graduated and what that looks like. And, um, you know, I kind of adopted what I thought was supposed to be the model of success. And then I went and tried it and went, um, you know, like I remember my, <laughs> so I, so I, I educated in the U S move back to Canada, do this like four weekend kind of course of, you know, the person who's helping us Canadian students graduating from the U S transition back into Canada, you know? And I remember doing a business plan and giving the business plan to them to review. It was part of the whole process and they gave it back and they're like, Oh yeah, no, this isn't, this isn't going to work. <laughs> like, like this, this model isn't going to work. And, um, they were really coming from like a high volume, multiple table kind of model. And I was, I, even when I graduated, I was like, like, I, I really, I want a bit more one-on-one -on -one and I'm okay with private and I'm okay charging a little bit more for that exchange. And this is the way I can imagine it working. And when I do the finances, it works fine, you know? And, and it was like, I really had to branch out to try to figure out how to make that work. And so it was like, clinically, what I did, I'm still mindful. I mean, if you don't have good clinical systems in place, then you can't even figure out the finances that right. way. And, and we all know the people who have had, you know, who are seeing 700 people a week and financially are really struggling, you know? So it's like it- Profitability it, is not good. It's like they're just, it, they haven't done the math, you know? And so it's like, you know, my, so I just really felt like I, I built the practice that I wanted to be a part of. I built the community that I wanted to be a part of. And the motivation was always- that care exchange. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, I want to provide quality care. I want to be doing what I know is in my heart, the value that I see that I can bring to that exchange. And so, you know, my, my model and my idea for other people was not what was being presented to me as being the model that was going to be profitable. Right. Yeah. And what I see a lot now is so, you know, there's still very few, because how long ago was that when? <laughs> I graduated in 2001. Okay. And so, tw like, you know, I'm like 19 years yeah. out at this point. And yeah. so I was just like, I entered school at the end of the 90s where we all knew practice management and insurance bubble and everything that was happening as far as the conversations because of the way insurance had been used by chiropractors. I, I knew that my generation, if we were going to go into insurance, we weren't going to have that because it had already been ruined by those who came before us. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, I was already entering a world where it was like, okay, well, the insurance boom for chiropractors is done. Um, Cause basically it wasn't done well enough for it to be sustainable. And that was, you know, and practice management was offering, um, you know, it was like, look, you can join my practice management company and you'll only pay one of every $4 you make and 50% is going to be your overhead. So 25% is yours. You can have 25%. And I thought, what? Like the, that makes no sense. Why would 25% be mine? You know? Um, and then they were still like at that time, there were so many companies that were building practices and then ultimately selling it to the docs. But after they had made a significant profit over a certain period of years, and then they could buy it and the practice was going to be purchased at three times what it actually, nice. you know, what it actually cost to build it. So but there's you know, not mentorship. So you get kind of get out there and you're like, well, I guess this is what I do because these people totally me and yeah. 
Yeah. And the, and the model of, you know, and I, and I don't mean like when I say like, I'm not, I'm not meaning any disservice associated with like everybody knows where their gaps are and, you know, there's people offering some really valuable exchanges, you know? So, um, you know, the idea of who you are personally precedes who you are as a chiropractor. If that's the work you need to be doing, then go work on yourself personally. Cause I promise you, your patients are going to show you your gaps in three seconds flat. And, you know, it's going to feel really hard, hard to deal with. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's like, if that's where your gap is, then fine. But the only, but the gap that for the most part, I think most newer docs are being told they have is business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like coaching business skills. You don't have business skills. I'm going to, you know, you're going to coach fill that and I'm going to fill that gap for you. But then, you know, the, and then there's the mentoring, which is, you know, by definition, mentoring is meeting somebody where they're at and actually helping them work on it, bringing their gifts out. And that can happen in all kinds of different levels or aspects because we know as chiropractors, there's lots of different places where gaps exist. And, you know, sometimes that's business, but not all the time, you know. Um, and then the place that I didn't even realize was I knew what I, my struggles were. Like I knew that I really struggled having a clinical mentor. I really struggled having somebody to ask clinical questions with um, because of the nature of, you know, who I am and how I use my head. It's like just some natural questions associated with like inquiry when patient would give me their health history and trying to figure out that, what that, or, or just being honest with things get better, things get worse, things don't change. Oh shit, that person is feeling worse after their last visit. Did I miss something? Did I, like, what, what do I change? What am I doing wrong? Um, what are they doing wrong? What else am I not thinking about? It's like, I just really struggled. And that was before social media, you know? And yeah. so then I go into a, you know, I go into a university environment and I have students asking constantly, Hey, Dr. Mack, I know you're in a hurry, but, um, I just have this question. And, and so then it's like, I could sit down with them and talk through a case. And it was like, their eyes were like, Oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. Um, okay. Could you come to the next visit? Like, I'd love you to just be there and like, sh you know, let's, let's, if you have the time, could we, in so I used to do that all the time. And I realized that sometimes it's just about them teaching them and reminding them how to think, like, how do you pull those pieces together? It doesn't mean that you don't have that information, but there's other ways to be doing it and thinking through it. And, um, and I realized that was like what I would have wanted. So I was, you know, it's like classic. It's like, ah, uh, gosh, I wish I had had somebody who wanted to practice like me, you know, who practiced like me. Um, I, I wish I could see what that looked like to be using your head and still not be offended by doing a proper exam and be doing tonal work and having conversations associated with breath. Like, what would that look like if, if that was all part of a practice model, you know? Yeah. Um, and that kind of, like, I was, I was a little dismayed and I have to be careful when I say this, when I got to, you know, back into the edu you know, educational arena and I was back in higher education, students so understood paying for a technique class. It was like, or, you know, weekend course. It was like, they so understood paying extra for technique because they understood that they needed to be really skilled with their hands. Um, and then the mentality was, I'm going to pay for a business coach because clearly I don't know business. So I'm going to pay for that because they've told me I don't. They've told me I don't know business, so I clearly need to pay for that. And I'm like, but where's all the fun in the journey of learning through your own patients? And where who's talking to you about the fact that you have to trust a hundred percent that no one will ever arrive 
to you in your office for your care that you do not have everything they need in that moment of time. Like who's telling them that? Oh my you know? God. I don't even know that I know that about me at 33. Yeah. Like I've been in practice 10 years and I'm like, wait, every patient, like I don't, every patient, every patient. And so I, because ultimately it's like, you know, that's where the part for me, it's like somebody shows up and that exchange between you and when they're there, you still bear the responsibility of like, here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. Do I have a valuable resource to be able to ask other questions? And if I don't, then I, do I know where to refer? Do I have a valuable referral that's congruent, that understands who, what chiropractic is, what happens in this office and understands who I am? And can I actually look at a collaborative way to work that the patient gets everything that they have asked for, you know, that that meets their goals, you know? Um, and I think like uh, that, that the, the, we've lost the enjoyment of practice being practice. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's right. That's with so many things. Like you talked Mm -hmm. about it being like the enjoyment of the journey of learning. Totally. Like, you know, do you think that that is, I've said this multiple times before that I think chiropractors have a big professional ego chip on our shoulders. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you think that that is specific to chiropractors that we kind of like graduate and we think like, okay, I memorized all the things and I passed the board (laughs) and now I got the paper and I'm Mm -hmm. a doctor. So I Mm -hmm. can't ever admit that I don't know something and question because then people aren't going to think I'm a real doctor. And so like, there's this stress. So I think, I mean, I think there's a couple dimensions to that. I think, um, I think number one, pulling the pieces together is not easy. And, you know, seeing yourself in a doctoring role, you know, does take time. And, and so I think that seeing yourself in that dynamic with another human being, I think that that takes time, you know, I, I would say this and I, I, you know, I would say as long as the majority of educational institutions are focusing on the, um, the diploma and not the education, we're going to have this issue mm-hmm. and not every single institution. It's like, if you think of the perfect model of, you know, science, art, and philosophy and the blend and the honesty of the conversation as it re- relates to whether it be technique or what's the patient's decision matrix Um, What's your, like, what decisions do you have to make as a chiropractor and recognize that when you make that decision, here's the pro and con of that decision. Like if you're going to, you know, are you going to, uh, you know, create a practice that's going to be available to all income levels? You know, what's your fee schedule going to look like? How much do you, you know, what neighborhood are you going to set up in? And what does that look like? Like, like those kind of conversations, like your decision matrix, the patient's decision matrix, what are they looking for? Like every decision that you make when you choose to go into practice has repercussions. Yes. You know, and, and sometimes that's just not conscious. It's like you just go into a space and they don't actually know it. So I think, I think that's, you know, that's also part of it. I think, you know, the, the emphasis on the diploma and not the quality of the education. I think that the not being clear about what decisions you actually made. I mean, schools don't even, I don't know this. You obviously know more, but like, I don't feel like a chiropractic school could sit back and go, you know what? I don't think we're doing this 
profession the service. Mm-hmm. Like I think we're being a disservice. I think we need to start having more of these types of conversations mm-hmm. to be shape them mm-hmm. be more mobile. What's going to happen? But then somebody's just going to be like, oh, well you're not providing me enough of like biochem. And so then I wouldn't be able to get my license in these states because these states mm-hmm. have requirements. I mean, there's be, the, the, definitely the, like the, the accreditation creates complication. Mm-hmm. I mean, that definitely creates complication. Every institution has to make a decision as far as how they're going to put those pieces together. Some of them, it's just foundationally, you know, if you go to certain schools, they're going to really be highly emphasizing evidence-based care um, and research-based care plans. And then other schools you go, they're going to be evidence informed, which basically is, I'm not going to be foolish enough to think that research isn't going to help us improve patient outcomes. Um, But I'm also going to recognize that experience teaches us a whole lot of valuable aspects of what we choose to do as the doctor in that exchange. And the third part of evidence informed is uh, the patient gets to choose, right? (laughs) Like they get to decide what they're there for, right? And so other institutions go, well, we're an evidence-informed institution. And others go, I don't care about the research. Uh, You know, the power of the body made the body heals the body and just get your degree and everybody else will teach you how to do it later. You know, and so some of the insecurities associated with a student graduating is, did that model of, of what they were exposed to resonate with them? You know, um, do they graduate feeling like they were missing some big academic pieces? You know, and I think oftentimes you'll see them graduate and go do a degree in functional medicine, go do a more work in, you know, functional neurology. Um, You know, if they're feeling like academically it wasn't at a level that they were imagining it was going to be or that they're really hungry for more of that kind of information, you know, but then I, then what happens to me is I think, okay, but like, I want sol I want a really nice solid general foundation. Like, I, you know, I, I, I feel like you should walk away, you know, in the, the model of, you know, um, medicine, it's like there's the general practitioner, the GP, it's like good foundational knowledge. And if you want to do anything else and just recognize it as anything else, you know, yeah. um, talk about it more like that, that would be, yeah. right. If you just went, okay, like you're going to get a general base. And then the, you know, if you want, these schools are stronger in some of these other pillars, or you can actually, you know, fulfill outside of that. And then, and then there's, you know, the last part is there's always the conversation associated with residency. And the idea was an associateship in chiropractic is equivalent to a residency. Um, and the associate docs are not trained to educate. They're not trained to mentor. They're doing it. You know, nobody goes, okay, I'm going to actually train to prepare myself or I'm going to do and have the conversation associated. Well, what is it really going to take to take an associate on? And how do I meet them where they're at? And what is my expectation versus what is their expectation? And are we even having that conversation? Has it even been had? Was a contract even offered where these are the rules of the game, you know? Um, so I think those are all, you know, those are all pieces. And then, and then I would say like the last thing I would say is the ego piece that you're talking about is, um, you know, we chose a profession that was not conventional. Mm-hmm. So we all chose to go don't into a profession that we accolades. Right. We don't want to so, be in the box, but we want the awards that being in that box gives us. Right. So it's like, we're not conventional. It was never, nobody ever told you chiropractic was, um, you know, that hundred percent of our profession wanted to be in the hospitals, wanted to be, um, you know, respected by the medical community. You know, <laughs> it's like, there's a subsection of our profession that now says, but don't we? 
you know, and then there's, you know, and then there's, the, you know, the rest of us that are like, I, I want to know what's happening. And I don't want to be foolish enough to not be aware of what is happening medically. But we're, what's happening in that space between this is somebody in need of a medical referral? And where where's my end of, I really understand what's normally abnormal in human function. And I'm going to refer when somebody presents abnormally abnormal and I go, it's outside my scope. You know, that sort of what I say is a really difficult gray space that I'm not sure that docs really understand. So what ends up happening is that- well, That's what the second opinion, I mean, there's something beyond a referral. Mm -hmm. like when you get to the gray gray, you totally. go like, you know, I need my people. I need my people. Yeah. Who's my people? I need to ask these questions. And that's the part for me that I'm struggling with right now. And I, and I keep going, is it my age? Is it like, I, like I need to check myself or, but like these Facebook groups with some serious, heavy questions about patients where they're sent, you know, people are posting questions like it's okay to ask about a pregnancy pillow or like, what are people's recommendations? But like, uh, you know, I, my patient was just diagnosed with ovarian cancer. What's the best supplements go? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like ah, you know, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Um, get out, get out, you know? Um, yeah, so, I see some of those questions and I'm just like, I just want to be like, oh, honey, first of all, <laughs> shoot, like, that's what you could, that's where you combine, okay, coming back to like, they don't know how to think. Yeah. I've been like, I wrote it down, so I, I tried to remember, but like, that is the classic example of like, I go like, okay, I get that you probably don't have, there's lots of things that happened in my doctor life, in mm -hmm. my mom doctor life right so there's a rash and I'm like yeah. huh yeah that doesn't look like a normal rash yeah so I just like you know I go to google now yeah. here's the deal is this is where I'm not just somebody googling I'm a right. doctor googling right yeah because I might look at a picture that it says like oh if it looks like this it's definitely ringworm and I go mm -hmm. okay well that's not true I know it's not ringworm and then I can keep going and looking. And so when I see these questions of people who just like throw it out to the Facebook group and mm -hmm. I don't mean, to, I don't think either one of us is trying to like say anything negative about that. It's not, no. but it's like, Oh no, honey, you got this. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You don't know what the answer to this is, mm -hmm. but start looking, yep. start researching, start looking in your books, start looking online, start looking at research and figure out like, how to think about this but if yeah. we don't know then we don't we just don't think well and the the issue I think sometimes is it's like you because we know we don't resonate with conventional health philosophy it's kind of like the 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 scramble to try to get natural for lack of a better way uh, alternatives or provide natural alternatives to avoid the surgical pharmaceutical offerings that you you know you're imagining the patient is going to be exposed to. But the problem is, is that whole space in between, um, you know, knowing like, where's the end of your scope? <laughs> um, how far are naturals going to take you? And then how much of that liability do you really want to be taking on? And so it's like, do your Googles, have your people, have a sense of like, what are the options that are available? And 
the ideal is, and you know, this is the ideal is, is I would like to send my patient when it's outside my scope to somebody who is congruent with my health philosophy and most often theirs. Yep. Right. They're coming to a chiropractor because they know we think differently. We see the body differently. They're looking and searching out people that want to work with what's right with them as opposed to identify what's wrong with them. Um, And so they're hesitant oftentimes to go for a medical referral and they're looking to us as the chiropractors for the next decision. And we don't want to let them down by being like, all right, I think you need a medical referral. So then we're I need to save this person. Right. Like, I think we would do so much better if we stopped thinking that it was our job to save our patients. Totally. Like, and, and if we were more, you know, if we, if we were a little bit more responsible about, like I had this, I had this conversation um, with a, a, a new doc recently and she said, you know, like, I really would like to do nutritional refer, you know, sort of, and I'm trying to figure out like, how would I add nutrition to my, pa- you know, my practice? And I'm feeling like that's what I want to do. And, and so I said, okay, so for fun, what I'd like you to do is I want you to put together a service menu. Like in your ideal, what would your service menu look like for your practice? Just put down like your service menu. It's like, okay, like, you know, because tell me, tell me what you're envisioning this looks like. And then the next message I get back from her goes, I started that service menu. And then I started looking at what a nutritional consult would look like. And I heard you say to me, and are you certified to do that? And then I thought, uh, I can have conversations about healthy diet. I can have conversations about exercise. I can comfortably have conversations about how the body works. I think I'm just going to hold off on that nutritional consult. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) that's my point. Like, that's my point. Like, it's okay to be making recommendations for foundational nutritional supplementation. Mm -hmm. We understand vitamin D. We understand what's happening with, you know, if you, if, if you make the choice to not, you know, do a great job with whole foods, then maybe you're the patient that needs a multivitamin and we can talk about fish oil, you know, but those foundational recommendations, I think are all within the scope of a chiropractor. Um, I've never, I don't know what of a jurisdiction that doesn't allow you to make those decisions um, and recommendations for patients if you want, not necessary, but if you want to, but then going into therapeutic recommendations for ovarian cancer or, you know, a rash or how do I, you know, what, what, how do I, you know, deal with this other issue? I'm like, gosh, don't touch it. Yep. You don't have to be at all and like do you where do you think that like desire to be and I guess I shouldn't say be at all like we get so let's take the nutrition example like you're like mm-hmm. well, I really like talking about nutrition and I notice my patients uh, need it and I'm having these mm-hmm. conversations so I should set up this like organized system where they're going to fill up these things and we're going to sit down and we're going to talk and I kind of was smiling while you're going there because I've had that thought where it's like okay so how long will that take that'll take an hour <laughs> so we are I don't know like what the magic number is that you're high yeah. volume but I would say we're a high volume clinic mm-hmm. so we have quality experience with our patients but their adjustments yeah. five minutes right if they're complicated mm-hmm. right So, you know, so when I start going like, oh, okay. So, but we also see a lot of like children with sensory needs and ADHD. We live in a very small rural area where Mm -hmm. there is not a person 
a female entrepreneur out there who's like hung her shingle and mm-hmm. is like doing nutritional counseling that I can refer to. So I started going like, okay, well maybe, maybe we'll just do it. And so I'm like, okay, well how much time am I going to need for that? Okay. About probably like an hour, like every mm-hmm. six months, maybe, or maybe even more. And I'll mm-hmm. have to like pull all these recipes and, and how much am I going to charge for that hour? And I'm like, Huh. I don't know. Exactly. Good idea. I'm a chiropractor. And And this is where I think like, you know, um, I just recently did um, a webinar on virtual consultation. Like, are you considering virtual? And I think that um, it actually has real, uh, presents real honest opportunity for, um, for us in our practices that never existed before, because like you said, the model, even just in your decision matrix, as you were going through was I need to actually have a person and they need to physically be present. Mm -hmm. And what does that actually look like? Well, what what would it look like if you found a nutritionist that was willing to be available virtually to your patients through your EHR? And what would that... I mean, this is where I think the old model of practice of where new patients come from and how we're going to convert them and how we're going to retain them, that model, and this is what I was sharing in my webinar, like I'm ready to smash that Mm -hmm. because that's not the world that we're living in. And I think, you know, the wanting to provide quality and value to our community and service, um, you know, your ability to offer nutrition within the confines of your practice does not actually have to be associated with brick and mortar. Right. Yeah. What would that, you know, what would that look like? Right. That I don't think we're ever going to go back to. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that is one of the most beautiful things that COVID has done has been like, oh, boom. Like the, I can like, as you're saying it, I'm like, oh yeah. Why have I never thought? Well, because there weren't nutritionists who were doing virtual. Right. And, and so imagine what, right. And imagine what that would look like. Like that was part of my conversation. Like I actually put the considering virtual because, um, I, uh, am also a doctor of natural medicine. So I do some functional medicine and, you know, when I was a chiropractor, I did both within my practice. But what I used to say is, you know, I have two licenses and I never wanted to water down chiropractic. And so 95% of my patients were under chiropractic care. I just happened to be a chiropractor that did other things that called it something different that, you know, they would walk out with two receipts for two different things mm-hmm. because I never wanted that to be confused. So when I look at, you know, and, and where I actually am, you know, personally now is I actually think that model of what that could look like could be very different. So the idea was, okay, how many people are actually considering virtual and what that would lend to a chiropractic practice? Because as soon as you say, you know, do you want to do telehealth as a chiropractor? Like nobody can adjust through a computer. I'm like, that's not what I'm talking about. And, and so, so it's like, you know, I did this webinar and I will tell you the group of people we're talking about, these younger docs are like, Oh wow. What would that look like if I offered a program virtually that people got to know me, that they got to know an area of health that I was interested in. And that became an exchange as a community marketing service for my, you know, for patients and their families. What would that look like if um, that was future people that became patients? Like that would be a hell of a lot easier. Like spinal screenings are done. Like nobody, like that's not gonna, they're so done, right? And it's like, there's not a person I think in the last two months that doesn't know how to use Zoom. 
Yeah. Like, so, my, so my third grader fear, now does. Yeah. Right. Like the, the, the fear factor associated with going online to have these kind of exchanges is gone. I mean, you know, there'd be a small percentage of the population that's not willing to do it. And then, you know, I, I mean, I was living in the San Francisco Bay area. Traffic is horrible. So what would that look like, you know? And I was talking to um, a young doc who um, was just getting ready to start when all of this happened. And her uh, principal population is pediatrics. And she's horrified by the whole masks and what's that going to look like? And how are you actually going to connect with a child through a mask and, you know, and, and have that feel meaningful? And so I said to her, you know, um, would you consider virtual? What would that look like? Because if, because I'll tell you right now, for the, if my practice and the way that my practice was set up, I would for sure be doing initial screenings with parents and children in the comfort of their own environment and minimizing the time they're in the office and they'd be without a mask. And so would I, mm -hmm. you know, I think that it, it just lends itself to a whole other level of access, you know? So that was sort of my idea. How many people are interested? You know, how many people are interested in having this conversation? And people were like, I'm inspired. I'm super excited, you know? And because the research I've done, it's like I put a course together and I'm like, people aren't ready for the course yet because they, they're just actually percolating with the whole idea. And so I said to a good friend of mine, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to run it again in six to nine months and let's see if people are interested then. Yeah. All because I do, because you need the legalities. It's like, what platforms can you use? Where does the data need to be stored? What kind of consents do I need to have? What is that going to look like as far as plans? And so, um, yeah, so the creative space for me is I think we're I think we're ready to actually start to really rethink um, the way a practice is put together um, and and recognize that, you know, five to eight minutes for patient visit care that requires touch and what else do you want to do with the rest of that experience? I mm -hmm. think we have a whole other way of doing it that never existed before with uh a comfort that, that's never existed before when it comes to technology. You know, yeah. most of the, most of the virtual practice offerings are about getting chiropractors out of their brick and mortar, like a side hustle. Like yeah. let's give you a revenue stream that's going to get you out of practice. Uh, you know, and, and so that was one of the things where I'm like, Oh, you're not talking about getting out of practice. I'm like, no, no. please stay in practice. Like I want the most passionate chiropractors who love what they do to start to think about what that would look like to have a different revenue stream to allow them to maximize their one-on-one -on -one time, especially if we go into, you know, some requirements in, in jurisdiction. Yeah, that's right. gonna, yeah, it's going to limit how many tables you can work at a, at a certain time, how many people can be in your space, you know, like the merits of like, I have a 600 square foot space. Awesome. And how many people can fit in 600 square feet right now? How many are you allowed to have in there? How many can you have in there right now, right? I have a woo-woo yeah. question. It's going to sound, it's going to seem like it's out of left field. Um, I won't. Not. Yeah. So along the lines of like people, you know, you said like you're going to run it in six to nine months again and see if they're yeah. already, yeah, but people are just starting to percolate. Yeah. Um, I think that there are so many things that need to break. Yep. That are breaking. Mm -hmm. But I had a conversation with a couple of friends that are just a little more intuitive empaths, you know, whatever mm -hmm. we call ourselves. And so we started first by saying, like, you know, when I look back on it, this was building since October. 
maybe even earlier, but mm-hmm. like in practice, out in the world, on the news, energetically, like there was mm-hmm. something that was building. Um, and then I asked and they were like, oh yeah, absolutely. And they're in different professions than I, one's an acupuncturist and one's a hairstylist. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, so here's the next question. Do you think it's broken? yet like mm-hmm. so we said like so if you kind of like imagine like you know last October is where I my level of energy was able to start feeling it but like if I picture like winding and winding and winding in this tension building mm-hmm. and like when the question is like do you think it's released yet and they all three of us are like nope not yet yeah you- I 100% agree hundred percent agree. Like if I want it to be, can we just break? But it's like, no, it hasn't. If we went back to normal June 1st, so many people would go back to air quotes, they're shitty normal. And mm-hmm. it hasn't broken yet. And I'm like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's broken. I think that people have to go back into what they had, the life that they had left to have a sense of who they've become because of this. I think we're not going to have a break until people actually observe themselves in the world that they created before, mm-hmm. because I've, I, I believe there's been some fundamental change in the majority of us, you know, without judgment, like positive, negative, like it's, it's not about that. It's, it's, I think that this, what's happened and how people have absorbed what's happened in this world, I think people are going to have to go back into the life that they had chosen to live, consciously or unconsciously, observe themselves in that space. Um, and whether it, it, they're conscious about how agitating that feels or whether or not it's just a, a new motivation to make a change or a shift. I think until we start to, like, I think that that moment, moment is where we have the potential for that to have a break, is yep. for there to be a break once people are taking the risk of or being faced with themselves <laughs> and what did they decide to do about it. Yep. Yep, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry to throw you like, I'm like, she's going to think that this does not, but I'm totally listening, but I wanted to know what you had to think about that. And it's kind of frustrating because it's like, shoot, I've Mm -hmm. done work, Mm -hmm. but I still think myself, like I think that I I know that there's more shadow work to be done. Right, well, and here's the other piece is that, you know, we as human beings are built for stress where we know where the end is. Like we are built, like our nervous systems are built for stressors that have an end in sight. We're not built for stress where there is no end in sight. And I think that that's where we're all kind of hovering right now. It's like we are built, it's like, it's like, you know, the student knows that there's a rest time after an exam. You know, we in practice always knew when our next little break was, or we, you know, a change in season brought us that change, or, you know, we always knew where that, that little bit of rest or time could exist or when that stress was going to end. But what's unique is that the entire world is functioning with stress without end right now. Yeah. And we're not built for that. We're not built to do that. And so, you know, there's, there's tools and screens to assess us as human beings as far as our resiliency. I mean, that's like the new word, right? Like the new world is like, 
build your resiliency, you know, and the reason they're talking about resilience is that we don't all actually like, and, and research says this, psychologically, we are all not built with the same amount of grit or the same amount of resiliency. And so for some of us, that is uncomfortable to have stress without end insight, but we, we have a space or we have some, you know, practices that we rely on that allow us to just sit in that discomfort and others just never got that tools. Like people just never got the privilege of, you know, being able to sit in that stress, but have all of their critical needs met. Do they have safety? Do they have security? Do they have a roof over their head? Are they being fed? You know, it's like, there's a lot of people right now that that's so hyper-focused because that's actually where they're at. But for those of us with privilege, we're functioning in a place where there is stress without an end. Uh, we, depending on who we are and our histories and, you know, what our childhood was like and, you know, they sort of say our lineage four generations deep have gifted us with anxiety. It's like we know that that's the case, you know, so it's like, it's like we're all functioning in a different place right now. And, and a really good friend of mine had read a poem um, that basically said we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. Yep, I've seen that. Right. And, and I think that that's really like, you know, where's the breaking point going to be? Like, where is that going to, you know, when is that going to happen? I think that we're all still sitting in that space, trying to process energetically, trying to process our own lives, our own existence, to observe ourselves in this space. Um, but we need the compassion to recognize we're not all in the same boat. We don't all carry the, you know, epigenetic reserve. We've not been gifted the same amount of grit and resilience. We've not all been gifted the same amount of privilege to even be able to have these kind of conversations that we're having right now. Um, and, and I think that, that that's there will be a place where, you know, wherever that tipping point is for the majority, wherever that is, that's going to be the, the breaking point, you know, or the release, the pressure release valve. So for those sitting, I mean, so we're all sitting. Um, I, I literally had to like kind of calm my heart because when you said uh, we're not made to sit with the stress with no end and that's what mm. we're being asked to do right now like I got like a little bit of anxiety in my chest because it was so like oh shit that that is so true mm -hmm. um so what what's the recommendation then for mm -hmm. man like for sitting in this um, so I used to say to patients um you know and this was always sort of a I'd have to know them really well but I you know I used to say like if you bear with me in this conversation I would say okay so here's here's what happens with stress is we all learn to label it, but we all, our physiology speaks to us in a very specific way. So you just said, for example, I felt it in my heart, I could feel it. Like you recognized that whatever was happening in your physiology, you intellectually partner that with stress. You go, when I feel this, I label it stress. Mm hmm Right. Yep. Um, it's like, and so, so, you know, whether it's meditation, whether it's breath work, whether it's, um, you know, those kind of habits, if I said to you, you know, allowing your physiology to speak to you so loudly, if you can recognize that's an indulgence. Ooh, say more. So, so to allow your physiology to 
to speak so loudly, it starts to control you. There's always a moment where you have the capacity to recognize it in that space that it starts to speak to you, whatever that uniqueness is. And your job is to actually learn to love her right there in that space. If you can learn, yeah, it's like if, if you can learn and if you know yourself and how stress speaks to you, then allowing that stress to overflow is, is like an indulgence. It's like, it's just continued to build, to build, to build, to build, to build. It's like that cup just gets more and more and more and more full and then it overflows. And then you're just like, you can't at that point, like your physiology is speaking so loud, you're no longer in control of it, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, so, you know, and we know the neurology of that. We know which chemicals start to drive that, you know, the whole issue, you know, the, the, the whole idea and theory associated with polyvagal is like, well, what's your upbringing? And, you know, when you're under stress, do you play dead? When you're under stress, do you, you know, what's your, what's your nature, you know, and that's, that's, you know, part of who your history is, but, but for stress, like, what is the answer? It's, you know, I would say, if you can recognize what your unique expression is at its onset and be respectful and honoring of that little child that is starting to feel uncomfortable and meet her in that space, then that's controlling your physiology, which ultimately you know, separates the thinking from the feeling. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It, does. it really does. Yeah. And, I and we're, all, we're all different. Most am like so absorbed, and I'm just like, oh man, you just blew my mind. And then you stop talking, I'm like, oh shit, I don't know what to say next. I was, <laughs> I was just so present in that moment to go like, fuck. That's but it's it, but it's no, it's there's no, there can't be judgment. Like here's the thing, it's like like what is it that when you're in that space that you first start to feel it? What is it that you need to do for that little one? Like what, what do you need? Where do you need to meet that little one? Is it quiet and silence? Is it a hug? Is it breathing? Is it meditating? Is it exercising? It's um, never resisting. Right. No, like it's right. never, you know, I don't think anybody ever would say, well, I just need to tell that little girl to like, stop it. Just be quiet. You don't have those feelings. Just like, right. you don't. Right. Like, you know, it's yeah. never resisting. It's, it's processing. It's yep. And it's going, it's going in, like, it's the difference between going in versus going around. So the issue is, when you're in that space, are you going to use a diversion to just not feel? Mm -hmm. And that's when it builds. That's how it grows. That's how it like, that's how the cup starts to fill is the going around it. And going in doesn't mean giving it a narrative, like, like doesn't mean making a story. Like, why did you like, it, it, it's like that experience. If you can just meet the physiology without the story, you don't need to make sense of your physiology speaking to you in that moment, because, you know, it could be a smell that you aren't conscious of, but that reminds you of something uncomfortable. It could be, you know, a sound, a song that just played and you weren't paying attention to the song, but your body in a cellular way just responded to it. Like, don't make a narrative. It's like, just recognize yourself in that space and love her enough in that space to go in and sit with her and learn how to calm that. Because that's actually probably the most powerful gift you can give in a time where you're not going to change what's happening in the world. 
Right. You can only change your response to it. Yeah, my um, my oldest, who's eight, uh, mm. I don't know. I use the word to describe her melancholy with like the greatest way that word could be used. Like not, yeah. she's curious about the world and she's inside her head and um, she feels things. And so there are some days where she's just sad. Yeah. And we had this conversation before where um, she starts to get extra sad and worked up when we're like, well, why are you, why are you being so grumpy? Why are you, you know, and then she has to create this story. Mm-hmm. And so then we go like, okay, hold on. Like, she's so blessed to have her <laughs> because we're like, okay, hold on. You know what? We're sorry. It's okay to just be sad. Mm-hmm. The only thing you need to do is observe it and go, I am sad today. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, not even today. I am sad in this moment right now Mm -hmm. the day is not you being sad and what we do is we like I find that when we start to try and create a narrative we almost double down Mm -hmm. so like it's like you know not in my daughter's head anymore but in mine where it's like oh I'm sad you shouldn't be sad why are you sad you've been having and it's like then you just get even more worked up and it's like instead of just being like hmm that's interesting yep that's okay yeah. And I might, you know, like get out of my car at the grocery store and then not, not be sad. But if mm-hmm. I spend all this time trying to create this narrative around why I feel this way, and then it just like anchors into me mm-hmm. even more. And totally. My, I remember um, a number of years ago, now actually a long time ago, my sister's watching my sister parent. It was like my first time watching my sister parent and her little guy was starting like you could just see it start to build, you know, and so she says, Nick, come on over. And she puts him on her lap and I'll never forget it. She put him on her lap and she said, okay, buddy. She said, sometimes there's times to be really upset, but this isn't one of those times. Everything's okay. You're okay. Everything's okay. So what we're going to do is I want you to take a nice deep breath in. We're going to take three deep breaths in together, and then it's going to be all over and you're going to be fine. And so she does these big deep breaths in and breathes out. And then the last one was sort of one of those like little vibrations, like, (sighs) you know, and then it was gulp, (sighs) gave her a hug. She's like, good job. You did it. And he was like, I did gives her a hug and off he goes. And I thought, I said to her afterwards, that is probably one of the most profound gifts for a lifetime that you could give a little guy is the ability to recognize that they're feeling what they're feeling. There's times when it makes sense. There's times when it doesn't teach him. There's ways that he can control that experience. It's like, and there's so many adults that don't know that about themselves yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's an appropriate, it's okay. It doesn't mean, you know, I feel like we're so worried that that's telling him not to feel. Totally. Like, no, we want them to feel. And it's like, no, you're not saying, she never said it wasn't okay Mm -hmm. to feel. Mm -hmm. You are feeling, Mm -hmm. but in this world, you don't get to go around putting your feelings on everyone at any given time. Yeah. Yeah. Times where it's appropriate to feel your feelings externally. And there are some times where you're going to have to process those feelings internally. And here's the gift of how to get through that. And totally. And as a three or four year old, it's like, there's only so much negotiation that can happen when the, this is not the time for the temper tantrum. This is the way we're going to control this right now. You know, um, 
And so, yeah, like I, I, I do think that that's also, it's like, you know, people think that meditations, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, yeah, I can't meditate. I, you know, and, or that meditation is supposed to be about not thinking. And it's like, no, it's so it's just like, if you can meet in that space where you're first starting, then you get to separate that thinking feeling. And there's that, like, there's just some calm that's in that space, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, holy cow. We could have like a five hour. <laughs> um, okay. So kind of final question, not, you do not have to wrap it up quickly. Yep. You thought we started this about you discovering your niche yep. and I, it's kind of like a two part question. I want to know how you really found your niche and then how are you, what kind of projects mm-hmm. are you working on right now that you are fine, have found it? And so. Sure. Um, I knew, like I would say, I knew that um, I discovered a part of myself in private practice that I didn't even know existed. I would say like I, there was something so amazing about that exchange one-on-one in that room with a patient. And um, and so when I, when I left practice and went into, you know, an educational institution, I still was not convinced that I was done with practice. I was just wondering if I could, if that part of me could be used and be of service in a different way. Right. So I go into the classroom and I realize when I'm just delivering content, the way I I have used it and I'm talking about the way it gets used in private practice. Um, and I'm seeing all of these, like, like the, the room is silent and I'm seeing all of these really interested eyes and really curious minds and students who are super receptive of seeing that that's the way this information is going to be used. And it was kind of like in that moment, I realized that, um, that I had the ability to share my experience as like, that was my own private experience in a way that could be used to support, empower and motivate young doctors in that space of insecurity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I moved out of the classroom a little bit more and was in the clinic environment, then it got even more rich because Mm -hmm. then I was actually with them and their patients, with them and their files, with specific in, you know individuals, but also having the difficult conversations about you know when a patient didn't return and them not taking it personally and um, feeling like they did something wrong or being panic stricken that somebody actually felt worse afterwards or being shocked that somebody felt better. <laughs> it was like what they felt better after they I saw me. Do I don't know what you did last time, but do that again because it worked. And you're like. Shit. I don't know what I did different. (laughs) Right. So then, you know, so then I go into the mode of like, okay, let's talk about how you could remember what that looks like on your paperwork, you know? Um, But so I realized that that part of me that I really loved that I was missing five years later in practice, um, you know, I was able to tap into that and share that experience and that there was a genuine hunger to connect with that experience in an empowering way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I finished up in the university environment, I thought, well, maybe the only way that I'm gonna be able to recover that part of myself and connect with that part of myself is to go back into practice, which would be really easy for me to do. Mm -hmm. It would be really easy for me to do. Um, 
And what I decided to do was, okay, so, you know, that clinical competency, that, you know, clinical systems and strategies, that connection of, um, you know, that, that like I got a, um, I did a little workshop uh, last year and one of the students afterwards said, thank you so much for showing me how I can use my head within the confines of doing energetic and tonal work. Like I didn't know that was possible or being in Costa Rica with a student who was network, who went to become a chiropractor from a, you know, a network practice had only ever known chiropractic to be network and then was so paralyzed with the idea of having to go into the clinic and do osseous work Mm -hmm. and feeling so out of integrity and having no sense at all how that was possible and sitting down with her and showing her a system that was congruent that she could do notes and she could do it this way and this is the way you know it was like I realized in those moments that there was a really big space for me to share what I know comes really easy for me mm-hmm. is to meet somebody, you know, to meet these docs where they're at outside of technique, to have a conversation, to have them, you know, to draw out of them what they're wanting in that experience and showing them how that's possible and avoiding that overwhelm and empowering them to do it, like reminding them how capable they are um, and showing them in a real practical way how to put that into place. That is so crazy fulfilling for me. Um, and so my projects that I, you know, am, am creating are associated with creating venues for that space. So whether it's, you know, a retreat in Costa Rica and seeing patients like, yes, I'm, you know, working on having some, an EHR, because I think that, you know, to see the same patients, if we go back three times a year would be really wonderful for there to be a track record on what they've come in for, you know, um, and you don't compromise yourself you know, it's like, I'm working with those that judge themselves for wanting to do a bit more of an exam, Mm. you know, never having, you know, you know, for me to say, well, like, some of the most important conversation to engage for me with my patients was during a report of findings. It was establishing our ground relationship. This is how the practice works. This is what I know about your body. This is, you know, this is the way I um, would recommend the approach, asking for consent, having them understand what that looks like with frequency. Um, And in those moments of like sitting with students and sitting with docs and showing them how that can be done, like, I just, I really love it. And so report of findings. Yeah. It's my, it's like my hands down. And so when a student tells me that they've never seen one done, yeah. When they've never seen one really done in a practice, when they've never actually like, I I did this, you know, this is a side note, but so I, I I had this, this question that kept coming up. So I, I, I have a, a clinical mentorship group. And so it's a small group we meet, they bring their cases, I talk through it, they submit them ahead of time, I organize them. And then basically we meet and I sit with the docs and I go through all of these cases. And I say, here's the factors, do you know this? We, you know, here's some ideas as far as things you can explore. And then in a future call to say, okay, I did this and this is what happened, what do you think now? And so I'm there to be able to work through those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but but um, so in those kind of exchanges, I'm able to share what I know. I'm able to, um, to give them opportunities to use what they already have and not feel like they need to go get more information to be exceptional. 
mm-hmm. that they actually have everything that it takes, that they are 100% exactly where they need to be right now. Um, and so, the you know, the clinical mentorship uh, is really, for me, allows me to tap into my gifts um, and work with docs to help encourage and support them. I'm just now working on... Um, this is probably the, the, you know, the least sexy of the offerings that I'm doing right now. Um, I'm putting together an eight module um, applied clinical systems and strategies where I'm actually talking about your choices associated with paperwork and what do you put on there? And what does it mean if you put them there? And what do you do during an ROF? And how do you set up the conversation associated with all of those, you know, criteria? And what are your core educational strategies? And how are you going to weave them throughout care? Like, what are the what are the things that you want 100% of your patients to know? And what's your clinical systems to put that into place? And um, when I was talking with my clinical mentorship group, the reason the course has kind of come from that is because they've said, oh my God, I wish I had known these when I set up my clinic. I wish I had known that that this could be done this way. And one of the things they asked for, like for example, they said, can you, can you talk us through an exam flow? I'm like, what do you mean an exam flow? And they said, well, like I've seen tons of different exam forms, but like, can you, can you just do an exam? And I said, you want a standard chiropractic exam? They're like, yeah. And so I took it as a challenge. I'm like, okay. Um, So I did a video. And I thought, I wonder how long it will take me to do what is considered a standard screen for cervicals, lumbars, uh, and do sensory motor reflexes and do some functional movements. Like what, like what, how long does that exam take me to do, right? Um, And so it took me seven minutes and 20 seconds. Really? I thought you were going to say like 20 to 40 minutes. Seven minutes and 20 seconds. And it's organized based on where the positions of the patient are. And it's, you know, I, when I was reviewing the video with my clinical mentorship group, I talked through what I'm thinking through as I'm doing it and why I separate them the way that I do. And uh, they were like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And I, of course, in my own world, like this is a perfect example in my own world. I'm like, I don't understand why you're telling me you don't have time to do an exam. Like, and, and, you know, the palpatory exam and what we do as chiropractors comes so easy and that's so fast. Nobody questions yeah. how quickly that can be done. It's like, that's put somebody, true. right. Put somebody I face down. Give you give somebody a hug and I'm like, oh, you oh. Reflux? you want me to totally. <laughs> totally right. Like that part of like having somebody go face down or checking a cervical spine, like that comes so fast. So I like I just for me, it was like so foreign that there was this idea of I'm not going to spend 30 minutes doing a full ortho neuromusculoskeletal assessment. And I'm like, why are you spending 20 or 30 minutes? Like, what? You know, and so yeah, so I did this little video and it's like seven minutes and 20 seconds. And like all the docs are like, oh my God, I had no idea it could be done so quickly. And I, in my foolish little head, am thinking, I don't understand what people are so offended by, by doing an exam. Mm -hmm. I'm like, it doesn't take very much. Like, what's the problem here? You know? Um, So that's my, you know, really long answer. It's, it's, I really love sharing that. Minute video is not on YouTube. 
It is not on YouTube. Gotta be in the club. It's gotta be in the club. Exactly. And so, and so, yeah, like that's what ended up happening. It was like, can you show me how to do an efficient exam? Can you, can you show me what your paperwork looks like? Like, can you show me what your soap note looks like? If you do, if you do, uh, you know, if, if you do a standard chiropractic workup, but you also do BGI and tonal type stuff, what is, like, what does that look like? You know? So, so the idea, you know, and what's happened with sort of my eight week program is what would it look like if I actually just put a template together and gave you a booklet of templates for all paperwork? What if I actually gave you the criteria associated with what needs to be on a good consent? What if I showed you a seven minute video and broke down functional movement patterns, not so that you don't need to be certified. Like functional movement has become um, as controversial as technique is like, like everybody's got their functional movement guru. I'm like, I'm so old school. 20 years ago, functional movement was, I want to see if somebody can do a squat. I want to see if they can do a lunge. I got a couple, you know, two, three more movements. It tells me everything I need to do. Right. I'm like, have them walk. I'm like, that. I, that's functional movement for me. And I've been doing that for 20 years. You know, I don't need a certification because functional movement was what I did as a chiropractor, you know? Um, so I'm really like, I, I just, it was really based on the questions I kept getting that I thought, okay, well, I, I can easily do that. So when I say it's the least sexy, sexy offering, except I have a wait list of people. Like name this something sexier, because when you said the name, I'm like, no oh no you're i'm gonna i'm gonna damn this sounds right oh oh, no i'm coming to you to help me do that because you have it down i'm like the i'm not the person to name my thing i'm just like i can produce the content and i promise you it's going to be crazy high value in an efficient way i'm like i don't like it's like it's just here's your considerations like let me show you what this can look like and then you can decide and Students keep telling me and new docs that are leaving associateships, they know what they don't want to do, but they don't know what their choices of what to do. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is, okay, if you're actually trying to figure out what's going to resonate with you, where are you going to get that information? And they're all telling me peers or figuring out on their own. I'm like, well, I'll just put it together for you um, in a way that you can use, (laughs) you know? So, yeah. So you help me with a sexy name. Okay. Sounds I'm good. Gonna, I'm going to put you on it. You can come up with some really good ones. We'll make some um, great like ad lead magnets for you. <laughs> please. You know what? That would be perfect because really it's like when I say applied clinical systems, people have already turned off as soon as I say that. Um, when I say, you want me to- I don't do want, want to hang out sample? with the people who, I am not going to go to the bar with the people who are like, oh yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Like most people sound like nerds. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So given that that's the case, most of my offerings, I will tell you right now, Lauren, are going to be like, my next webinar is going to be on outcome assessment tools and screens and how to use objective measures. And there will be a subsection of people who are like, oh, that sounds interesting. And the other are like, what the hell is that? And what's that going to do for me? Yep. You know, um, that's, yeah. So my niche is, is, uh, is that. We can do some wordplay. That's what I need. That's what I need. I need help with that for sure. You are, you and your wife are freaking blessings on this. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you guys are chiropractors. We get to be like, yeah. (laughs) 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 Thank you so Um, much. Oh, so, okay. Well, uh, last thing, shout out your website and where people can find you. Uh, So as you start 
giving some of this information and the- I always populate Linktree. So it's really easy. Linktree will just have Dr. Tamara McIntyre and it will have all of the offerings that are active, whether it's a free webinar, whether it's our Prana Foundation endeavors, it's got the link to our private Facebook uh, page. We do a lot of free offerings for our members. So Dr. Mo just did one um, on chiropractic and the immune system. Um, I, you know, I just did one on um, considering virtual. My next one is going to be on objective measures and technology. And I promise you, it's going to be way more interesting than people think um, because it's all about usability. It's, you know, what are your choices and what are your usabilities and what's congruent with who we are as chiropractors, not just what is going to happen outside of that, you know? I love it. Thank you. So, so much for your time and everyone. uh, Yeah. Isn't she amazing? Go find her on Instagram. um, And Dr. Mo knows so, so much valuable information. Thank you so much. Um, have you, we'll just have you, we'll do a part two. Sorry. Perfect. I have to come back. <laughs> Perfect. Thank All you right, so she, much for having me, Lauren. All right. She slayers until next week. Bye. Hey, she slayers. Are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? SCAD has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two-way texting with your patients. Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection, so your schedule won't get out of hand. SCED was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission, and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to SCED because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast, and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait.